Welcome to the CBE's podcast series created specifically for you, our partners in veterinary education hospitals. Through conversations with invited guests, we explore some of the challenges, based on your input, that can arise when hosting final year DVM students. Over these episodes, we take a look at teaching practical skills, providing feedback, the basics of clinical communication and a range of other topics. Our hope is that this series will offer you a tip or two that will help make clinical placements a more enjoyable and successful experience for you, your team and our students. Welcome everyone, I'm Simone Ma, Director of the Centre for Veterinary Education at the University of Sydney, back with another podcast episode designed specifically for our partners in veterinary education hospitals. Joining me today to talk about clinical communication skills is the delightful Dr. Sana Zaki. Welcome, Sana. Thanks, Simone. It's great to be here today with our partners in veterinary education. Now, Sana, you've been at the university for a while, uh, but for those people who aren't familiar with who you are and what you do, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, a while is a bit of an understatement. Um, I feel like I'm a little bit of um, a bit of the furniture at the vet school, I think. So like you, I'm an alumni of the university and I graduated in 1992. It didn't take me very long to return, um, so my interest in anaesthesia brought me back to um, the then Faculty of Veterinary Science in 1995, um, and I started off working as an anaesthetic registrar in the teaching hospital, um, and I was fortunate enough to be trained and mentored by um, Dr. Martin Pearson. And I remained in the teaching hospital for 20 years first as a registrar and then later as a lecturer. Um, And I taught and trained, I sort of did some quick sums, over 2,000 veterinarians in all things anaesthesia related. And I loved every moment. Um, And during that time, I was heavily involved in designing the anaesthesia curriculum. um, And I, you know, um, contributed in other ways in the teaching hospital. I was director for three years. um, And eventually I embarked on a PhD um, looking at um, osteoarthritis pain. So I sort of shifted my research and clinical interests from anaesthesia to pain. And interestingly, in 2015, I shifted my teaching focus from um, anaesthesia to the discipline that we call veterinary professional practice, which I think is very relevant for the discussion we're having today. So my passion for teaching is what led me to pursue an academic career, and I've been at the university now for 28 years. That is impressive, Sana, and uh, what a commitment to the, I guess, the future of the the profession to have stuck around for so long and have had an impact on um, so many, so many students. Really, um, I'll put my hand up as being one of those, Sana. So <laughs> now um, you're involved in, particularly at the moment, in teaching DVM Year One and Year Two students about communication skills. Can you? briefly outline for us what students are actually taught and how they're taught about effective communication in a clinical setting. Now, it's going to be hard to be brief because (laughs) communication is my thing. It's my passion, uh, but I'll try. I'll give it a go. So there are a number of elements to what we actually teach students 
under that umbrella of communication skills. Um, and in DVM1, it really starts with this strong focus on, um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but the emotional intelligence framework. So that idea of developing self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, um, and more broadly relationship management. And this kind of provides the scaffold for then developing communication competencies across multiple veterinary contexts. So not just how you deal with a client in a consult, but also how you deal with your colleagues, how you deal with staff and how you deal with the public. So in DVM1, we start with the basics of clinical communication in a consultation setting. We introduce um, a guide to the veterinary consult, which is based on the Calgary-Cambridge model. Um, and this model is structured around six stages of a consultation and three processes. Now, as experienced clinicians, um, this isn't rocket science and um, it'll sound very familiar to you because it's kind of what you do when you run a consult. But for students, we need to give them that structure and framework because they're embarking on something that, that is quite foreign to them. So the structure of the consult, consult is about preparation, it's about initiating the consult, gathering information or history taking, it's about actually performing the physical exam, um, it's then about explanation and planning, and then finally closing the consultation. And the three processes that we're trying to develop skills in our students um, are that idea of actually having a structure to the consult. Um, the idea that you're making observations the whole time that you're actually also communicating with the client and the idea that you're not just collecting information and delivering information, but you're also building a relationship with the client. And that's really key um, to clinical communication. So this consultation model incorporates some of the foundational communication skills, which you as clinicians have developed over the years and probably don't even think about. Um, and we demonstrate these skills and we share examples with them and then we provide students with the opportunity to actually practice those skills. So those skills are the actual preparing and initiating of the consult, so that first encounter that you have with the client. The, um, the skill of having a structured um, inquiry process and actually pausing during a consult to gather all your information. So the idea that you start with open-ended questioning and then you hone in on details and, um, and get more information through closed questions. The, the skill of reflective listening so that you can actually um, demonstrate an understanding of what the client is trying to convey to you. And then that idea of signposting and using techniques such as chunk and check where you've got a lot of information that you want to deliver to the client but you need to break it down and you need to signal what's actually happening in the consult and what's going to happen in the later stages of the consult. And then the, the other element is that um, skill of expressing empathy and we demonstrate to them different techniques for how to do that. Um, remembering that some of our students are um, come with a wealth of experience, um, they're highly empathic um, and they're really skilled at demonstrating that. While other students um, have limited experience dealing with the public um, and they might be of the personality type where actually expressing empathy is something very foreign to them. And then finally, um, we go through some of those nonverbal communication skills that are really important. So it's very clear. I mean, 
any clinician knows how critical effective communication is to your patient outcomes. There's any number of, of research papers, I mean, a, a lot of them in the human medical field, uh, talking about the impact of effective communication on job satisfaction and uh, your sort of longevity as a clinician. So this is, it's such a critical part of clinical practice. So it's fantastic to see that it's starting so very early in the, in the, the DVM program. Yeah, absolutely, Simone. Um, and I guess from from our perspective um, uh, as educators, really, the the earlier you begin, the better. Clinical communication, as you've said, no doubt is a key day one competency for our DVM graduates. And no matter what career path they decide to pursue, so even if they're not going to pursue a clinical career path, um, they need those communication skills. So. How, how do you actually approach, say, the student in practice uh, that maybe isn't speaking up, they're, they're not putting themselves forward, they're not maybe even answering questions when you're doing uh, morning rounds? How would you suggest site supervisors can encourage these students to speak up? Yeah, it's a good question, Simone. Um, and you're right, most of our students rapidly kind of develop their communication skills. They've got that past lived experience and they just need to tweak it a little bit um, to put it into the veterinary context when they're on their placements. But for some students, it is a real struggle. And I think there are a few things that students who are just starting to develop their communication skills struggle with. Um, and I'll give you a few examples. So the first one, and it speaks to that student that might stay a little bit quiet and not get involved, is what I would say fits under that umbrella of imposter syndrome. So these students that lack confidence, they're unsure about their medical details and, um, you know, medical detail of a particular case or how to approach something. They've got all this information in their head, but they don't really know how to use it. And so they simply stay quiet because they're worried about saying something and being wrong. Um, and they're worried about, um, you know, doing the wrong thing. Um, and so as a result, um, you get these students that appear like they're disengaged and not interested when in fact they're actually just um, unsure of their abilities um, and they probably just need a little bit more guidance and encouragement. So for these students, I think it's really important to set clear expectations about what they can and can't do um, and in particular in the context of when they're with the client and to let them know that they can actually talk to someone if they're unsure about something or that they want to run something by you before they actually go and perform it. And I think if you provide that scaffolding for these students, um, certainly my experience in the teaching hospital has al was always that they would then start to really shine and, and sort of take on that challenge and, and do more. I think the other student sometimes that we see um, that doesn't engage um, either due to their personality type, as we talked about, or um, because we do have a lot of international students, their cultural background, they find it difficult to engage with a client on a personal level. And they sometimes find that difficult also with um, the clinicians and the nursing staff within the clinic because of what their perception is of um, how you treat people that are either in positions of um, of power or um, people that are in fact um, strangers. 
And so they often appear awkward and uncomfortable. Um, they may even come across as being a little bit abrupt and rude um, or simply just not genuine when they're speaking with the client. And these students are often really keen to learn. They may practice some of the techniques that we try to teach them, but it comes across as being a little bit clunky, um, especially when they're sort of trying to engage and, and sort of build rapport. But I think, again, if you can actually see that they're trying to do the right thing, but it's simply not getting executed correctly, it's important to be patient, um, to limit their time alone with the client, um, and certainly to keep them away from some of those challenging consultations, um, but engage them in the consult that you're conducting. So don't expect them that they're the ones that are going to be doing all the talking, but engage them, let them observe what you do. Um, don't just treat them like a silent observer. Um, let them see what empathy looks like. Let them see what a clear explanation looks like. And then talk to them after the consultation when you have a moment about what you did and why you did it. Um, and then when they have a go at something, really important to, um, uh, I guess, to congratulate them on having a go um, and then to actually work through the bits that kind of worked and the bits that didn't work and offer them some guidance on how they can improve. I want to touch briefly on another student encounter that I think can be challenging for clinicians. Um, certainly it was very challenging for me in the teaching hospital. And these students, it's not so much that they're quiet, um, but they can be a little bit disruptive to the running of the clinic. And I call these students, um, students that suffer from the 10-pin bowling syndrome. Have you ever heard of the 10-pin bowling <laughs> no, syndrome? No, but uh, I, I'm most intrigued, Sana. What is the so, 10-pin bowling syndrome? I don't know if anybody's, well, I'm sure you've all had a go at 10-pin bowling, but you know that first time when you play 10-pin bowling and you get a strike? Oh, and you think, oh, my feeling. God, this is so good. This is so easy. I was made for this activity. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> and then every subsequent time that you go for that strike, you actually totally um, you suck. It. You yeah. suck. <laughs> exactly. I wasn't sure they were allowed to say that during the podcast. Um, and so these students are just getting that confidence, but they get a little bit cocky. They think they're really good. They don't realize that you know, their success rate is 100% because they've only done something twice. And mm -hmm. if they did it 100 times, maybe their success rate would be 2% because they're the only two times that they're going to get it right. Um, and so these overly confident students, in a way, um, still need some guidance and direction. Um, but what they um, what might hinder their ability to actually get something out of the rotation and make it more fulfilling for yourself as well as clinicians is if... Um, if you call them out every time they, um, you know, they cross the line or, or do something wrong um, in front of everybody else. So the idea for these um, students is not so much to set them up for failure or to humiliate them so that they drop down a notch. Um, the idea is to actually try um, to engage them in a way um, that is effective, um, to set clear expectations about how you want them to interact with clients to give them regular constructive feedback that's very specific, um, but to do it in a respectful way so that they know what they need to work on um, and how they can actually improve. So it's not about just pointing out what they've done wrong, but to actually give them 
what doing something correct looks like so that they have something to to work with um, and to reward them when they actually do the right thing. And I don't mean give them money. What I mean what is... What about a Freddo frog? <laughs> yes, <laughs> a Freddo frog is good. <laughs> but these are usually highly motivated students, even though they might be a pain in the butt. Um, and so often what, what I find is that what they want to do is that little bit more, right? You set the boundaries, but when they do what you need them to do, when they talk to the client the way you want them to, when they don't interject when you're giving your treatment plan to the client, then you reward them with some of that extra stuff that they're really keen to do, whether it's scrubbing on a surgery with you or whether it's, you know, change that bandage that they've practised on um, models that's at uni but they haven't had a chance to do in a real dog. That's how you reward these guys and get them on your side so that they, they respect um, what you expect from them um, and they behave and communicate in the way that you want within that consultation setting. So we do we do really um, try to um, work with students to help them develop um, that sense of reading the room and assessing the situation. But again, it's a skill that takes time to develop. And, and one of the models that we use um, to demonstrate how to assertively address something that might be resulting in a negative feelings or resulting in a negative situation is probably a technique that I think our partners in veterinary education could also utilise. Um, so the idea is not just to confront them and say, that was inappropriate, don't do it again. Because as a teacher and a mother of three boys, that doesn't work. Simply, it doesn't work. So what um, what we work through with the students and, and what I try to do when I'm giving them um, feedback when something's gone a little bit pear-shaped in terms of how they've interacted either with a, another academic or with another student or with a, a, um, a client um, is the idea of um, addressing the issue by firstly describing the behaviour and describing the behaviour in an objective way. So not with all the emotion and the colouring, but simply saying, you did this, you said this, whatever it might be, yeah? You use this language in front of the client. Just spell it out. This is the behaviour that I'm going to sort of t talk to you about. And then you talk about the impact. So you describe the impact and, again, specifically without the emotion. So when you did this, this is what happened, yeah? The client um, said this. Um, the nurse did this, I responded this way, whatever the case may be. The day um, uh, ran over time because of the delay that you caused. So be specific about the impact on yourself and everybody else in the work environment. Then introduce the feelings. So when this impact happens, these are the feelings that are linked with it. You make everyone upset. I get frustrated as the boss. You feel down on yourself because you know you've done something wrong, whatever. Point out the, the emotions. And then the important final step is actually state what you would prefer to happen in the future. So don't just say, you did this, it was bad, this is the impact, this is how I feel, don't do it. No, actually say what you want to happen next time. So next time there's a client that we're euthanizing um, an animal in front of, I would like you to do this and this and this and be very explicit with it. And so when you when you provide feedback in that sort of framework, 
suddenly it's not about, oh, she doesn't like me, oh, they don't understand me, because you're very explicit, you actually state what the impact is, and you provide a way of moving forward in terms of how to do it the next time. So just to summarise, it's the situation, the impact, the emotions, and then an alternative behaviour or future preferred, the the yep. pref- preferred behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. And this, in this context, the preferred communication style or language. And I guess that because the the other, we've very much been focusing on communication with clients uh, specifically, but I guess this is also relevant to those students who maybe have a little bit of trouble in the team environment of a clinic. So maybe they're not uh, affording nurses due respect or, uh, you know, there's there's a bit of a, a clashing of, of heads and I guess as their supervisor, it's upon you to to address that, I guess, in the same way. Absolutely. Yeah. And in fact, in those interpersonal relationships is where it becomes really important because you can imagine that, um, you know, a client they'll see once during their rotation. Um, if they get off on the wrong footing with the head nurse, there's a three-week rotation that could just you know, um, mean that they don't learn anything. So really important to to set those um, clear boundaries and expectations and to address an issue when it comes up at the time that it comes up. Any final words of wisdom you'd like to leave us with, Sana? Ooh, words of wisdom. Uh, well, I guess in my mind uh, uh, I think um, as with all things, um, when students come on rotation, Um, we can't assume that they know what the expectations are. And I think that's often where they fall short um, and where there's disappointment on both ends. So if I had to um, give you any final um, bit of advice, it would be that it's that essential um, taking time to actually set expectations from day one so that they know who they can and cannot do, what they can and cannot do in a consult how they should address the other staff, how they should engage with the nurses, who they should be taking instructions from, um, what tasks they're expected to complete and be responsible for. Even things like when they start and finish, you know, um, they if there's another consult, you expect that they're going to stick around rather than uh, leave at a certain time. Um, even things down to dress code, tell them exactly what the work environment is, what your work culture is and tell them what you expect from them. Um, And then when they don't meet those expectations, address that through constructive, um, meaningful feedback, um, you know, that's done respectfully. Sana, thank you so much. An absolute pleasure to have spoken with you today. Thanks to everyone listening, and I can hope you can join us again on our next podcast. Take care.